Sports Squad with Io and Chanel. Hello and welcome to Sports Squad here on Fun Kids. I'm Io and with me is Chanel. Chanel, it's only been, what, two days since we spoke last? What have you been up to since then? This week I've actually taken a rest from sports. Uh, what? Is this possible? You are a machine. Yeah, um, playing every day for the past eight weeks. I thought I'd just take a rest and chill out and read a good book. Oh really? What's the book? The Step-by-Step Training Manual of Soccer Skills and Technique. <laughs> I thought you were going to drop Harry Potter on me or something and you, you, you come up with that. Are you kidding me? Uh, well, look, enjoy that. We've still got lots to bring you on the programme because we've still got the world of sports, which I'm hoping you've been swatting on, Chanel. And also coming up is a big guest who's one of the world's best track and field stars. Sports Squad with Io and Chanel. OK, so if I was to list every achievement of our next guest, we'd probably take most of the show up. Let me just simply say, she's a world record holder in the 100 metres, the 200 metres, the 400 metres, the 800 metres, the 1500 metres. She's won five Paralympic gold medals, 12 world championship golds. A warm welcome and an exhausting welcome to wheelchair racer Hannah Cockcroft. So good to have you on the show, Hannah. Hi. I mean, where, where do we even begin? Such incredible achievements, such a range of achievements. Are you exhausted? Are you not going to give up anytime soon? I have no plans to give up. Obviously, this year's putting a few barriers in my way, but I'm still going. I'm still attempting to go as fast as I can. <laughs> how have you been on the lockdown and how, what's going on with you? I've actually been fine. Uh, my training hasn't changed that much. Um, I'm just using the roads because they're a lot quieter. Uh, if I can't get out on them or if the weather's not great then i've got it's called a roller it's like a treadmill for my wheelchair so i can train inside on that and then i've got some bits of gym equipment so you know some dumbbells and a pull-up bar so really i'm still still managing to get six chair sessions in a week two gym sessions still busy as ever really (laughs) well earlier on we were talking about obviously that the the medals uh, you've achieved and won obviously but also you know you set a new world record for the t34 in the 100 meters last november what what was the time uh i think it was 16.79 seconds i'm not great with times it's your record how do you not remember well i just go on the track and push and then i see a good time and i'm like oh yay and then forget it and just do it again the next time (laughs) but i mean uh, what is your mindset going into these things you know um do you just want to keep getting better every race you do yeah i always want to get faster that's the aim um obviously the aim is to win gold. I don't think that an elite sports person should ever enter a race and believe that they're going to win anything less or want to win anything less. What's the point in being on an Olympic start line if you want anything less than the best? There's no mm-hmm. point in being there. So, yeah, kind of, I, I enter every race to go a little bit quicker. Every training session is kind of geared towards going that little bit quicker. And really, how I feel about it, it depends on the race. Uh, that World yeah. Championship race where I broke the 100 meter world record um i'd actually lost the 100 meter world record the previous year to my teammate so uh to get it back had taken a lot of work uh and i was no actually not even i hadn't even considered that i might break it or even go close to breaking it i just wanted to win uh and the time came with it so it was quite a relief yeah, do you know, what, what's what's interesting with me is, you know, I've been having interviewed so many elite sports people. Everyone has a little story uh, of their own, and it's quite fascinating considering what you've achieved. You were actually quite discouraged from getting into sport when you were a kid. Yeah, so I, um, I was the only disabled child at my school. I went to mainstream schools throughout my childhood, um, and I never had any problems aside from when it came to PE, I guess. 
the teachers had no training, they had no equipment, so they just had a complete lack of confidence when it came to getting me involved. So mm. my PE was sitting on the side doing my homework, sitting in the library reading a book. Um, sometimes it was doing my physio in the corner of the hall, um, but it was never joining in and playing the games that everyone else did. And for a long time, I just accepted that. I just accepted that I was different and that's what sport was for a disabled person. Um, I'd never heard of the Paralympics. I'd never met another disabled person. Um, mm. So I was very different in my head. And mm. then when I was 12, um, I met a boy that went to the school next door to mine. Um, Harry had no legs and he played for the local wheelchair basketball team. Um, and I guess that was it for me. He completely, he just opened this door that I had no idea was even available to me. Took me along to, to try out wheelchair basketball at his club. Um, and the club got me involved in, you know, wheelchair rugby, wheelchair tennis, eventually wheelchair racing. And it was incredible. But yeah, for 12 years, I kind of just accepted that I couldn't be active and, and thought that I'd just do something else. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when did you realise that you could actually be an elite athlete? Uh, probably on the start line of the London 2012 Paralympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> Hadn't it sunk in that this was actually your job up until that point? Yeah, no, I think I won two gold medals. So that was when I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I should carry on. <laughs> I think it only became my job after London 2012, really. Um, mm. It's still not really a job. I love it. I love going out and racing and it's just a hobby. You know, if, if someone said, oh, we're not going to pay you to do this anymore, you can do it for free, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Does it ever sink in that you're, I guess what you're doing is allowing you to be a bit of a role model for, for young people, that young people might look at you and think, I could be just like her. And is that something that motivates you? Um, it didn't used to. I used to find it really weird when people said, oh, you're an inspiration. I'd be like, oh, why? And I still think it a little bit, you know, why? Because I'm just getting up and I'm just doing something I enjoy every day. So that's not really that inspiring. But actually, it's a massive honour when someone says that you can motivate them and you've, you've shown them a path that they can get into. It is a really nice feeling, but it's kind of odd. You feel a bit of pressure then, like, oh, I'm going to have to keep winning then so that I can keep inspiring you. Otherwise, you're going to be really disappointed with me. So it's not the reason why I do it, but it's definitely a nice bonus. Yeah, for sure. Chanel, you got a question? I touched on it, but he said um, you were discouraged from playing sport as a kid. Is there any advice you could give someone who has been told to not play football athletics, basically just trying to stop you pursuing your dream? Um, yeah, I think if you believe that you can do it, then you should definitely give it a go. You know, everyone has to build their own support team. So whether that's your parents, your siblings, your grandparents, whoever it might be, just just talk to them about what your dream is. And, and they're always going to put 100% behind you. And, you know, growing up, my dream was to be prima ballerina, which is entirely unrealistic for a girl that could barely stand up. But my mum and dad didn't, you know, say that that was stupid. They were like, oh, OK, if that's what you want to do, then... You know, we'll, we'll just get you dancing. Um, you've always got to build that support team and, and don't be afraid of changing that dream. You know, if you try something and it's not for you, just try something else. You know, I, I listed the sports before that I tried before I got to wheelchair racing. I never felt like a disappointment because I didn't want to carry them on. I just kept going until I found the one I loved. So don't be afraid of doing that. Don't be afraid of just dipping your finger in everything that you get the opportunity to do until you find the one that's for you, really. Your race wheelchair is incredibly high tech. Can you tell us a bit about it? 
Yep, so my race chair is, uh, so it's got three wheels, so it's very different to the chair that I use every day. It's silver, not that that's important, it's silver and purple, just my colours. Um, so it's got three wheels, the back two wheels are bigger and they're on a camber, so they're slightly, like they're on a diagonal. That's so that we have a bit more stability when we're going fast in the chair. The push rim that we push on is slightly smaller than the, the actual back wheel. Um, and this is something that is individualised to the athlete. So if you have longer arms, you normally have bigger push rims, smaller arms, shorter arms, smaller push rims. And this is so that you can get inside the push rim better. So when we're pushing, people think that we grip and push down. But actually, when we're pushing, we punch the push rim. So this is like if you imagine a spinning top. If you grabbed a spinning top every time you wanted to spin it, it would stop moving. So it's the same theory with the wheel, really. So really, we're just whipping it to keep it going. Um, and we hit it with our knuckles. So we wear special kind of like boxing gloves um, so that it doesn't hurt too much. Uh, but if you're doing a road race, it still hurts a little bit. And then on the front of the chair, it kind of levels out to one front wheel. We have kind of like bike steering. And then underneath the bike steering, we have a, a metal bar called a compensator. So you'll see when we're racing, we hit our chairs when we get to a bend or a straight. We're hitting the compensator because the compensator holds our chair on the camber of the track. So it either holds our chair on the bend or it holds our chair on the straight so that we can keep putting power in with both arms rather than trying to hold the steering to go in lane. Because obviously when you're racing, you have to stay in lane or you get disqualified. So yeah, a quick run through of a quite technical piece of equipment. <laughs> if you could put a price on it, how much are one of those wheelchairs? They're not cheap, are they? They're not cheap. Uh, so my race chair, if you were to buy it, would cost about £6,000. If you were to buy my boyfriend's race chair, you're looking at more about £15,000. So completely depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> Do you know what? This is, well, obviously, I, I think the, the first Paralympics was, was in Rome and things have clearly got better in terms of organisation of Paralympics. But transporting the equipment... People forget, you, these are real fragile pieces um, that other athletes probably don't have to think about these kind of things. Yeah, so obviously we travel a lot as international athletes. I spent January out in Australia, so um, it's always a worry packing up your chair and, and kind of trusting it on a plane and giving it to people that you don't know. Um, they are so fragile because the slightest knock can completely knock out like the steering, it can damage your wheels, it can break the chair completely. Um, at Rio 2016, a bus driver fell over my race chair the night before my 100 metre final. I just sat and cried and someone else had to fix it because I just thought that was the end of the end of the world. <laughs> You're joking. Um, no, it was very difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're really fragile, ridiculously expensive. Um, and ultimately, if they do get damaged, you just have to afford a new one. So something that you look after like it was... Well, I look after it more than my life, to be honest. It's so important to me. <laughs> Sports Squad Quiz. It is that moment. It's time for the big quiz. Our guest has got three questions ready for you, Chanel, and for you also at home. Two of the questions are from the interview we've just done. Hope you've been listening. And one of them is a little curveball just to make things a little more difficult. So, Hannah, take it away. Okay, first question. I set a new world record in a T34 100 metres last November. What was my time? Was it 16.79 seconds, 15.51 seconds or 22.33 seconds? 
A, 16.79 seconds. Hey! <laughs> okay, question two. My nickname is Typhoon Hannah, true or false? Um, I'm gonna say true. <laughs> My nickname's Hurricane Hannah. I don't think we mentioned that though, so that's a really difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the curveball, isn't it? That's the curveball. Okay, last question. The first ever Paralympic Games were held in A, London, B, Paris, or C, Rome? London, I think. No, Rome, Rome, Rome. No, I'm going to change Rome. <laughs> I had a moment of realisation. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know where. Can we have that? Or should, I think we should go by first answers only. You, you, you should always think about your answer. You can't just blurt it out Well, it's technically it. another curveball question because the Paralympics originated from the Spinal Unit Games, which were, in fact, held in London in the 1960s. And then they oh, progressed into the Paralympic Games. So, another thing. No, 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 I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Either question could be it. right. <laughs> okay, so Hannah, you have the last say on this. Is she right, Hannah? Yeah, I'm going to say right. Right. All right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Well done, well done. Woo! Good knowledge, very good knowledge. It means you're paying attention. Well, Hannah Cockcroft, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a pleasure. It's been so nice to chat to you. And, uh, you know, you've definitely inspired so many uh, people listening to even take a look at the Paralympics coming up, hopefully next year for, for, for Tokyo as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and I hope they enjoy the games. The World of Sports Squad. It's time for the World of Sports News. Chanel, you've been Googling, working the World Wide Web. What have you found? We talked about sports books earlier. In lockdown, lots of people were either reading about sport or watching films or documentaries. What's your favourite? You know, I've been um, I've been watching The Last Dance on Netflix. It's the Michael Jordan documentary, but there's also another one I really like called Senna, which is about um, a Brazilian race driver, one of the greatest race drivers ever. Unfortunately, he died on track, but his story is unbelievable. And it actually made me cry a little bit. But yeah, there's so many really good sports docs out there. Well, speaking of sports documentaries, lots of lists being compiled as to the best ones ever. One seems to be included in a lot of lists. Hoop Dreams from 1994 about two African-American high school students in Chicago and their dream of becoming professional basketball players. It's an incredible story. Yeah, it's a proper good story. I think I've seen that once or twice. And I just love those uh, documentaries that sort of rags to riches and people that don't, these, many of these kids don't really have much, but sport is their dream and they end up potentially or not making it to, to the top flight. It's, it's really, really powerful. And that in particular is a very good documentary. Right, that is all we have got time for on today's show. It's goodbye from Chanel. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye. Sports Squad is brought to you with the support of the Audio Content Fund. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you enjoy the programme, please review us and rate us as well. We'll catch you next time. I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. <laughs> this is Saving Planet Earth. Available 
wherever you get your podcasts.